chapter 3 and its verses 1 to 16. So many famous words in it. You may hardly need your Bible, will you? John chapter 3, verses 1 to 16. The set gospel for today. It's on page 1065 uh, on your book. Nearly the Battle of Hastings, isn't it? 1065. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one who has come for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into the mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows where it releases, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. This is indeed the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you. Let us pray. We thank you for your inspired word, for the teaching we find within its papers and pages, and help me as we try to work together in understanding it deeper, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, lovely to be back with you again this morning. Thank you very much for our musicians for the choice of songs this morning. Um, for in the 1980s, the, uh, for most of the 80s, I spent most of my time at a place called Cliff College in Derbyshire. And there, um, every year, they had a massive, what they call a celebration weekend. And uh, I was asked to lead the worship. I was very nervous, um, a lot younger. And I was asked to lead it alongside a new and up-and-coming worship leader in the country at the time called Noel Richards. And he 
he said, I'm going to teach you a new song. It's called You Laid Aside Your Majesty. And ever since then, it's had a very special place in my heart. So thank you uh, for choosing it today. That really took me back. I know a, <clears throat> a number of weeks ago, one of our services at Christchurch, Phil uh, Curate, who's been here a few times, uh, did a sermon. And he, I think he might have done it on you. I hope he did, because I thought it was an excellent one. And it was a sermon, basically, that was made up of questions. It was a sermon that was made up of questions. Not a sermon of answers, but a sermon of questions. And I often wonder sometimes whether our sermons sometimes give too many answers and sometimes don't always give us questions that we can think through and sometimes work for ourselves. Here are some ordinary questions for you this morning. Where were you born? You're not supposed to reply. You're not even meant to go, Oh, I didn't know you did that, Andy. That was very good. <laughs> Where were you born? What time of day was it? What month was it? How old or long ago was it? Were you born in hospital? <clears throat> or were you born at home, like I was, with all my other brothers and sisters in the same bed, same room, creatures of habit in Ireland? How did you celebrate your birthday as a child. When did you ever first hear of the person called Jesus Christ? Can you remember a birthday or a day when you decided to follow him? Or did it all happen over a period of time? Well, it's just a way of introduction to perhaps one of the most famous passages in the scripture, and I think one which has probably, in one sense, done the church lots of good, but sometimes perhaps too has done the church a bit of harm as well. Because it all is based around that question about being born, and particularly, of course, that phrase about being born again. Because we see here in John's Gospel, and the lectionary is very good at the minute. A number of years ago, when I was in the parish, uh, we did a series in John's Gospel. And when we were thinking about what to call it, we called it Encounters with Jesus Christ. Because if you go this afternoon, uh, after you've had your lunch and your nap, read the first six or seven chapters of John's Gospel. But read them in the light of who is this encounter with. And you see Jesus having the most amazing encounters. Encounters with people at a wedding. Encounters with people in temples. Encounters with women of ill repute. And here today, in John's Gospel, Jesus has an encounter with the Archbishop of Canterbury. Well, not quite, but a desperately religious person. There was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus. Well, the very fact that he was a Pharisee meant that he was a very religious person. But he was more than just a religious person. He sat on the Jewish ruling council. He sat on General Synod of the Church of England, perhaps. And he came to Jesus at night. One of those interesting uh, verses in the Bible that you could spend a lot of time thinking about. 
Nicodemus, this very religious person, a senior person on the Jewish council, decides that he wants to come and meet and hear this person, Jesus, this itinerant preacher. And he decides, well, I don't want to be seen going to see him. It doesn't do my reputation much good. I'll pop in to see him undercover at night, the sort of person that knocks on my vicarage at nine or ten o'clock at night when nobody is watching. And he comes and sees Jesus by night. He is what we might describe in church terms today, an inquirer. Churches do an inquirer's courses and people come to it. Just a little aside perhaps to us, some of you may know that some of the areas of church life that's growing in our country at the minute is surprisingly is the ministry of our cathedrals. I'm not just talking Blackburn, but other cathedrals all over the country are showing signs of growth, signs of people coming to them. One of the reasons that people sometimes say it is that, and this is sometimes true, that because of where they're located, people sometimes can come to church and cathedrals and be a bit anonymous. People don't know them. You can't come to St. Stephen's and be anonymous, I think. That just seems to be my little experience. People are warm and friendly and people know everybody. But Nicodemus felt for a moment he wanted to be anonymous as he came to see Jesus by night. Churches sometimes have to be very careful. I remember going to a lovely church, I don't know if you've ever been to it, called Christ Church, not Fullwood, that's a good church, but Christ Church in Southport. And at Christ Church in Southport, me and my wife went one time, and we loved it, but the problem was I think we were welcomed about five times. And it was in our face, as it were. We thought, this is too much. We're, I'm off duty to start with. I don't want, you know, I wasn't wearing a dog collar, but I really, in a felt times, I was overwhelmed, as if you can do such a thing. But some people like to come to church in a sort of an anonymous way, and we must welcome them too in their own way without intruding them. Well, that seemed to be the case with Nicodemus. He wanted to come. And Nicodemus, my goodness me, he tried to get Jesus on his side. He knew the lingo. He knew the talk. Rabbi, he said. Immediately telling him that you're a teacher. Trying to get Jesus on his side. And not just that. He said, you're a teacher, Jesus, and you come from God. Well, he's ticking all the right boxes. He's doing all the right thing. No one could perform the signs that you are doing, Jesus, if God were not with you. And then we get Jesus' response. And you know, sometimes in the Gospels, I think Jesus is exceptionally rude. I don't know if you think that. Somebody came to me and said, Brian, oh, you're sent from God. You're a very holy man. You're obviously a teacher. No one could do the sermons you do, Brian, unless God was with you. I'd probably say, thank you very much. That's lovely. Thank you for the compliment. Yes, I've been in the church for 30 years. I really, yes, I, yes. But not Jesus. Jesus had that amazing ability, which we sometimes don't have, of really seeing right through to what the heart of the problem is. And Jesus says to him, Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. I think Nicodemus was completely rocked by Jesus' response. 
totally flummoxed by Jesus' response. But part of me understands this uh, uh, confusion, I think you may too. What on earth do you mean, Jesus, about being born again? I was already born on the 11th of June, 1962, in the upstairs bedroom at my mum and dad's house. What do you mean, being born again? I think I want to spend a bit of time this morning to try to unravel that a bit. I think, sadly, in many views, it is a phrase that has been misused, if I'm being blunt. I think it is a phrase that sometimes has confused people. And I think sometimes it is a phrase which we have to be very careful about how we use it. The reason that I say that is that it is a phrase that's very inconsistent in the Bible. Paul never spoke, really, or used the phrase telling people to be born again. It wasn't a phrase that Paul used. I don't think Jesus used it any other time. But yet we take this one little phrase, be born again, and we have made a full gospel of it and perhaps give it the phrase that it perhaps doesn't always merit. And I have to be very careful of saying that, perhaps particularly at St. Stephen's. I think one of the reasons, just to be careful, is we have to be careful with what the word's actually saying. Because uh, we have other Bibles. This is the NIV, a very authorised and a good translation of the Scriptures. But there are other ones. And the one that's used now in what we might describe as academic circles, whatever people think that means, where people have really studied the original meaning, and Jesus uh, says sometimes is, we pray that you may be born anew. Or a lovely phrase that I think is a lovely phrase, that you must be born from above. You must be born from above. Heaven must come to earth. God must come to us from above into our lives. Or as some people say, it has to make the hardest six-inch drop in the world where the message has to drop from the head to the heart. The head to the heart is the biggest six inches in the world. For Nicodemus, he was a religious person. He knew lots about God. He had it all up here in his head. But he missed the point because he didn't have it in his heart. It has connotations which is sometimes unhelpful in our mission. I'm prepared to put my head over the parapet and I say it's a phrase that I would never use anymore in my mission today, partly because of experiences. In the village that I grew up with in Ireland, there were two women that meant the world to me. One was my mother. I guess everybody thinks their mother's wonderful. But to me, my mother was just the best. One of the most godly women I have ever met. And the other one was a Roman Catholic lady called Peggy. Peggy is now 92. And as far as I can gather, for every day of her life, from when she could drive, she owned a pub in the village, which didn't go down well with some people. But she was a pub owner who was at a bit more time in her hands during the day. But for the best part of 70 years now, every morning, got up 
the first thing she'd do is she'd get in her car, drive the two miles to her nearest Roman Catholic church to say her daily mass and to say her daily prayers. But every year in our village, we were gospeled. A team of Irish missionaries would come and set up in our village. They brought their own building with them, their own hut. And missionaries would go round the village knocking on people's doors. And in my view, they had the absolute rudeness of saying to Peggy, Peggy, are you born again? Peggy said, no, I'm not. Or they'd even say to my mother, are you born again? And my mother would say, I don't know, it's not a phrase that I use. But never was there two people in my life who I would say were definitely born from above people, deeply Christian, spiritual people, devoted to their Lord and to his worship. But perhaps just don't use the evangelical language that sometimes people like to use. We've just got to be careful, I think, of the words that we are sometimes saying. We have to be very interested in this. There's a, an academic woman in, in Lancaster University called Linda Woodhead. Uh, she gets a lot of critics. People think she might be described as a very sort of liberal person. But she's done a really interesting piece of research in our country about uh, people's allegiance to Christianity. And in a report, she said that sometimes people say, um, pe when people say, I am not a Christian, if you say to them, why do they think they're not a Christian? They say, well, somebody told me that I wasn't. I am not a Christian because somebody told me that I wasn't. There are people, God people, who don't use this language of being born again. Most of your other ecumenical people, perhaps in this town, might not necessarily use it. But please not label people. I said just because they can't say the words that they definitely don't have the uh, feeling inside. I'll never forget uh, when I was growing up in Ireland, going to Southern Ireland one time, and going to a meeting uh, in, a nun, uh, in a place where nuns live. Nuns live in nunneries. Monks live in monkeries, I used to say. But I went to this nunnery where some nuns lived. And uh, I went in to see them. They started singing all these charismatic songs. I thought, I've never seen nuns sing these before. And when I spoke to these nuns, I said, what, what, you know, when have you started doing this? And these, this lovely Irish nun says to me, ah, oh, but Brian, he says, I'm a born-again nun. Have you ever met a born-again nun? They're fascinating people. But this was someone who just knew that somehow again their faith had been renewed. The other problem, of course, with the phrase about born-again, it has this awful thing of a tendency that unless people can name the place they were born and born again, unless they can say what date it was, somehow or other it doesn't count. Well, that's a total myth. There are many people who belong and love and serve Jesus Christ, but who struggle to put a date on it. I can, but I don't make a thing about it, I don't think. Perhaps today there are people here who feel, just because I've not been able to put a date on it, I don't feel the full thing. Well, that's not true either. If you follow Christ in your heart and giving your life to him, whatever way that means to you, please don't beat yourself up over the fact that you can't put a date on it. 
I used to years ago get a train from Chesterfield to London with my work. And in the wintertime, I used to hate it because it was one of those days where you got up in the dark and you had to drive to Chesterfield in the dark and you got onto the train and it was still dark. And then, first of all, of course, you'd fall asleep. But a couple of hours down the journey towards London, you'd wake up and the first thing you'd actually say was, it's morning, it's light, the light has come. But if I said to me, what time did the lights come on? What time did the sun rise? I don't think I'd be able to say it. But all I knew is that once it was dark and now it was light. There are lots of people like that who recognize that once it was dark in their lives and now the light of Christ has been born anew and in them. I think we need to, we make it difficult for people sometimes. Why does the church make things so difficult for people? Why do we make it difficult for people by saying unless you can put a time and a date on it, you're not really the real deal? doesn't matter it really believe me it doesn't matter but for Nicodemus well it's very interesting one of the things that Christians get really hung up on sometimes and talk about I really wonder what happened to Nicodemus did he really get there in the end did Nicodemus ever was he really born again well we don't know but there is a little clue and it will perhaps appear in our Easter readings in a few weeks' time. If you go home tonight or after this, if you can find the verse, let me know, because I can't remember it off the top of my head. But there's certainly something later on is that when they were trying to find a grave for Jesus to bury him, a man called Joseph of Arimathea, I think, am I right, thinking that, give up his grave. But in that reference, there is a reference to a man called Nicodemus being there and I think the reality is that Nicodemus did get it I think eventually Nicodemus did make that six inch drop from the head to his heart this morning the question really isn't to you are you born again the question is have you been born anew and the big question is that if you are someone who wants to say that you're born again, it is not in the past tense, is it? It's in the present tense. It is the continuous tense. Every day we are born again, aren't we? Every day we are born anew. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Every day we are born anew and begin a new life with God. The dangers that we have come on is that conversion as a one-off event has made sometimes caused us problems. But today we think and thank God for the life of Nicodemus, that man who came and saw Jesus by night, who I believe ultimately got there in the end. Let us pray.